It's wonderful to be with you, to get to share this time together, to look at the scripture, to hear the word of the Lord, what God may say to us. When I saw Dr. Flippo yesterday, he just kind of, we almost ran into each other in the stairway because I was coming out as he was going in and he said, uh, you're, you're between two Hagans. And I said, I, I don't think I understand what you mean. He goes, well, Mrs. H preached on Monday. Dr. Hagan's preaching on Wednesday. You're right in the middle. Oh, oh great. No pressure there, right? <laughs> you know, but the Lord is good. Amen. The Lord is good. And so I want to read to you a passage of scripture from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Heavenly Father, help us over these next few moments to hear from your word. Open our ears that we know God's voice. And Lord, let it resonate with us. Help us to know, oh God, that we can redeem the time. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul begins with the charge to walk circumspectly. Now, many of you may be thinking, I I have no idea what that means. Well, you'll be happy to learn that in this particular translation, it includes a footnote with the substitute word carefully. (laughs) Why didn't you just say that in the first place? Why use a word that people wouldn't even know what it means? They use a different word because I think careful doesn't really mean anything to us today. I mean, just think about it. With all the times you said, hey, mom and dad, I'm going out with my friends tonight. And they say, okay, be careful. It doesn't mean a thing, does it? (laughs) Because it doesn't change what we do. We would do far better if we just said, don't ingest anything that may cause vomiting. That would just be better advice, wouldn't it? Or I'm going to the beach. Okay, be careful. Doesn't mean a thing. Be better to warn us, don't get in any body of water with sharks. Or watch out for melanoma. It's a killer. Or I'm heading home now. Okay, be careful. It doesn't mean a thing, does it? We'd be far better off to say, if you even touch your phone while you're driving, so help me. Or I've got a big date this weekend, or it's an anniversary this weekend. Okay, be careful. (laughs) We'd be far better off just to say, here, let me give you a dose of antivirals or something to that effect. Because when we tell people to be careful, they just don't do anything about it. They don't listen. They don't change the behavior. It just, it's a word that almost just means, okay, bye. It doesn't mean anything to us anymore. I much prefer the use of the word circumspectly in this passage. Now that's a word that will get your attention. It's borrowing from the Latin circumspectus, which means to be cautious, to literally look around, be looking about you in order to avoid the bad behavior of others. Why? Because the days are evil says Paul, and you don't want to be played for a fool. Paul goes on to tell us to redeem the time. Now, what does that mean? For most uh, commentators, the phrase means to take advantage of every opportunity, like one would seize an opportunity for their own benefit or their own profit. The idea is that Paul is using this verb in a business sense in which one gains an advantage. Hence, the more popular translation, making the most of every opportunity. Other scholars, however, note that Paul uses the term in the sense of redemption, a legal term he has co-opted in a sense and linked directly to the saving work of Christ. 
This is how he uses the word in his letter to the Galatians and also to the Romans. He does the same thing. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And again, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. He is in the redeeming business. By repurposing this term, he transforms it into the Christian experience to demonstrate for us the ability that Christ has the ability to, in a sense, change the terms or to alter our destiny or even to level the playing field, if you can even understand what I mean. Christ has redeemed us. He has brought us back from our imprisonment to sin. And in so doing, Paul has transformed it from the legal sense of redeeming, that is buying back slaves or seized property, to a word that is forever linked to the salvific and glorious work of Christ. Jesus is in the redemption business. And we've been, for, we've been freed. We've been redeemed for God's glorious purposes. So that's kind of the context of this passage. So what does it mean to redeem time? Well, despite the majority view, I do not think that Paul is changing his usage here. Rather, I think he means to convey that time can be redeemed, literally saved or repurposed for God's own special time. It's, it's not just a business transaction for me to say, oh, here's a good opportunity, make sure you take it. Don't miss that opportunity. That's one sense, but to put it in the context of redemption, now this changes it all together. Literally saved or repurposed for God's own special use, for God's glorious purposes. But how can he redeem time? How can that be done? Well, in the Greek New Testament, it uses many different words to express time. There's probably a dozen or more. But three of the most significant are chronos, kairos, and hora. Now, chronos time is ticking time. And its unmistakable characteristic is that it is always marching forward. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. And it cannot be stopped. We are hopelessly bound by it and we cannot escape it. It's like a train barreling forward through the world in which we live in only one direction. Just, it just keeps going, constantly moving. Nothing we can do to stop it. It's moving through our existence in God's created order from one end to the other. One direction for us as we can perceive. But we rarely think about it in its forward motion. I mean, most of us are very poor at planning forward, thinking forward. Well, what are you going to do if this happens? I have no idea. Well, what do we do if that doesn't work out? I don't know. We're going camping this weekend. What if it rains? I, I don't have an alternate plan for that. Yeah, we're very poor at thinking ahead. An assignment is due next week. What are you going to do about it this week? I have no idea. I think I'll go lay down and take a nap. I'm not really sure what I should do. And it just keeps ticking, keeps ticking, keeps ticking. But we rarely think of it in its forward motion. We contemplate it only as it goes to past us. Isn't that odd? We're very poor at thinking forward on it. We, look, we see it coming, but we don't know what to do about it. And it happens, and then as, as soon as it happens, it becomes history for us, moves into our past. And that's what we end up looking at. Stranger yet, it's always counting down, never up. Have you noticed that? Always down, never up. We cannot redeem Kronos time. We get up in the morning, we have to be at work or school in 15 minutes. And the clock starts. It's always counting down, isn't it? Becomes an enemy to us, doesn't it? 
We have a date on Friday. The clock is ticking. Oh, I better get ready. I need to make sure I have this ready to go. It's counting down. Only 101 days until Christmas. Did you know that? Clock is counting down. And it's this deadline nature that makes it impossible for us to redeem Kronos time. Once it moves past us, we cannot do anything further with it. Now, Kairos time is equally elusive. And oftentimes, especially in Paul, the word is used synonymously with Kronos. So Paul is not always very careful how he uses the word in which context. There have been many people that have written articles or preached sermons on this similar topic, and we try to narrowly divide these words. But in reality, Paul many times just used Kairos time and Kronos time. He uses them interchangeably. It can signify an opportunity or a moment, which I think that's what he's doing here in Ephesians 5. But usually it signifies an, a season or seasons. It's an era of time. It's about decades and centuries that mark an age. It's a period of time in which the window opens and then it closes. It comes and then it goes. Now that's something important I want you to keep hold of. Kairos time, different than ticking time, because it's just moving, but Kairos time generally tends to mean an opportunity comes and then it goes. For example, the summer is nearly over and fall begins next week. Did you know that? It's similar to the way the prophet Jeremiah states in chapter 8, he says, the summer has ended, the harvest is over, and we are not saved. What a stark word to the people of his day. Or someone might say to you this, this is your college experience. Make the most of it, right? You get this challenge all the time. I'm sure you've heard it many, many times. Unfortunately, we often look back on these opportunities, and I can say this with someone with a lot more time in the rearview mirror. When you get past it, you look back and say, oh, I wish I had done. And most of our conversations about the past are always of what we had hoped that we would do. We often look back on these top opportunities with regret and they are difficult to redeem even though we might learn from them. Now let me illustrate this from the life of Jackie Smith tied in for the Dallas Cowboys at the Orange Bowl in Miami, Super Bowl 13, January 21 in 1979. It's third and three. 10-yard line. There are two minutes and 46 seconds left in the third quarter of Super Bowl 13 against the Steelers, and the man with more career catches and more receiving yards than anyone else on the field had his hand on the turf on the right side of the Cowboys' front line. Smith had played in 215 games in his 16-year NFL career, catching nearly 500 balls for 8,000 yards, more than any other tight end before him. And he already knew this would be his last. It was going to be a fairy tale ending. The kid from Kentwood, Louisiana, who was surprised as anyone on the day he got drafted, who toiled so long and so hard for the middling St. Louis Cardinals, who retired and then reluctantly came back for one last ride, who was at that time America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. It was, a set, it was setting up so well for him, this old vet, older at 38 years than any other player in the game that the Florence Alabama Times Daily predicted Smith would have the best time of them all, no matter how hairy the going gets. Now that was the prediction. And for a while he did. Smith had only been on the field for a handful of snaps, all of them running plays. And this one looked to be more of the same, trailing 21-14. 
Dallas lined up with two ends, Smith on one side, Billy Joe Dupree on the other, plus an extra lineman in Andy Frederick. All world running back, Tony Dorsett went in motion to the right and quarterback Roger Staubach ran a play action perfectly to Scott Laidlaw, faking the entire back end of the Steelers defense. Then in came snarling Jack Lambert. Barreling through the A-gap, aiming to blow up the play the moment before it could even happen. If only Laidlaw picked up the future Hall of Fame linebacker with a crushing block that stopped Lambert in his tracks, giving Staubach just enough time to operate. With the pocket closing, the QB spotted Smith streaking down the center into the end zone without a defender in sight. They're going to throw it. He's got him wide open. NBC's Kurt Gowdy blurted out on the TV broadcast. The ball rose. It went 5, 10, 15 yards and descended into the surest hands, those of a slipping, stumbling, Smith. Oh, he dropped it. Dropped. Jackie Smith. Gowdy exploded. He's a great human interest story. 15 years with the Cardinals. It's the first time he ever had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And he let a short touchdown pass get away. Oh, bless his heart, said Vern Lundquist, added on Cowboys Radio Live. He's got to be the sickest man in America. What a moment for that to have happened. Now, I've told you the story, but I think we're going to be able to show it to you as well. So let's watch this. Third down and three, Dallas at the Pittsburgh 10. Roger, back to throw, has a man open in the end zone, caught, touchdown, dropped! In the end zone, Jackie Smith all by himself. Oh, bless his heart, he's got to be the sickest man in America. Oh, Jackie was so wide open in the end zone, it was incredible. Super Bowl 13, Steelers 35, Cowboys 31. The margin of victory, the four points that touchdown would have provided. A glorious 16-year career forever defined by one incomplete pass. His life was changed from that. Now here he was at the end of a stellar career, but that marked him. And so you see, that was a Kairos moment for him, a specific moment in time that opened up and closed. And when he dropped that ball, he would carry that uh, struggle around for the next 40 years. In fact, the excerpt I read to you was from Sports Illustrated coverage of that. Even in 2016, they're still writing and talking about it. And he reflects on that, how that moment always weighed him down. He was never able to redeem it. And all that to say, it's hard to see how that missed opportunity, that Kairos moment, could ever be redeemed. How would that even be possible? But there's a word that John would use about 30 years after the time of Paul, in all likelihood, that may best help us understand how we might redeem the time. In John chapter 2, Jesus says, it's not my hour. My hour has not come yet. Later in the book in chapter 12, the the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then the final time he uses it in the same context, 17 verse 1, Father, the hour has come. And that word that he used there is the Greek word hora. It's virtually synonymous with kairos, yet it's altogether different. While it describes an hour, a time period, a season just the same, it more directly notes a particular time for something to happen. 
it marks a moment in which everything can change. It's a moment of opportunity for sure, but it's a new chance. We even personalize it when we talk about it in our own vernacular by calling it my time. It's my time and I'm going to let God use me. You see, Jesus knew it was in his time when his mother wanted him to take action at the wedding in Canaan. Granted, he acquiesces to his mother's request. But when he went to the temple, he drove out the money changers and he knew that it was his hour. He knew it was his time and he was going to let God use him. When John the Baptist was in prison and his disciples asked him if he was the one, he told them, I am not the one. He knew it was his time to decrease so that Jesus could increase in the eyes of his own followers. It was his time, you see, and he was going to let God use him. In 1510, William Tyndall was 16 years old when he enrolled in Oxford University. Can you believe that? 16. He enrolls, he's going to the university, and when he was challenged over his desire to translate Holy Scripture into English, he knew it was his time, and he was going to let God use him. Now, it wasn't just a short moment. It took him 15 years to secure the money needed to complete the first English translation of the Greek New Testament, but he knew it was his time, and he was going to let God use him. When John Lewis was 15, in 1955, he saw the actions of Rosa Parks and it inspired him and he knew it was his time to get in trouble. Good trouble, who knows the rest of this? Necessary trouble. From that moment, he faithfully redeemed the time until his death, having served in Congress 34 years. It was his time and he was going to let God use him. Time is usually our enemy, since there's nothing we can do to stop its incessant march towards due dates, death, and judgment. Pretty depressing, right? If we cannot stop it, then how can we redeem it? By understanding that God owns time. God owns time. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm going to own that, or I own you? or I own up to that. It's all about, I have the power over it or I'm taking responsibility over it. God owns time and by knowing what time it really is. How can we, how can we redeem time? By understanding that God owns it and that, that it's, then knowing what time it really is. It's time, it's my time and I'm going to let God use me. Some of you right now in this place, and those of you that are online watching, you know, by the way, I want you to know we're praying for you because even though you can't be in this room, you're, you're wanting to be a part. And I know it's a it's foreign experience to try to engage in a service just watching it on a screen. But God is with you. But some of you right now in this place and online think your life doesn't matter. You feel like a drop of water in the ocean. Just one in seven billion. Yeah, God uses some people. God doesn't use me. But nothing further, but nothing could be further from the truth. Your life matters and God can use you. If you submit to that, that's how you redeem time. You say, is it really that simple? It's that simple. How do I redeem time? I submit myself to God. You see, this is your time. This is your moment to shine. Now, let me give you some examples of how this is. It's your time to vote. 
For many of you, this will be the first time you will be old enough to vote in a general election and you need to go out and vote. Uh, traditionally speaking, young people are one of the lowest groups of people that go out to vote. Big talkers, always talking about social change, but they don't go out to vote, certainly not in large numbers. Now, this has changed a little bit. It changed particularly when uh, uh, a couple of presidents ago, Barack Obama was running. He, he seemed to stimulate a little bit more in the, in the youth vote. But statistically speaking, your age group, your first timers, uh, you don't go vote. But I want you to change it. You see, it's your time. It's your time. And God wants to use you. So no matter how you vote, you need to go and vote. And you ladies here in the room, you ladies that are watching online, you have got to keep in the front of your mind that women have only been able to vote in this country for the last hundred years. Did you know that? This is the 100th anniversary of the amendment that gave women the right to vote. And every woman at the sound of my voice must go and vote. Now, it almost doesn't matter to me who you vote for. Only that you do it because if you do it and you commit it unto God, then he redeems it and he can use it for his glorious purpose. Uh, I remember the last general election, it seemed to me they had a place over here at the park. I don't know where there will be, but there'll be an opportunity even while you're at college. Or you can contact your state and you can get a, uh, an absentee ballot and you can vote, but you, you can't wait. You see, you're looking forward and you're not doing anything about it. But I'm telling you now, if you want to redeem time, you need to do something about it. Every woman in this room better go vote because it's your time and God wants to use you. It's your time to be a problem solver not a problem maker. My kid's sister used to say this to me once we were adults. She'd, I'd be at her house and I'd be stirring up trouble, you know, with her kids who were my nieces and I'd be playing on their side about something. And she'd say, Richard, you're being a problem maker. I want you to be a problem solver. <laughs> she'd say, snap her little finger at me. She's 11 years younger. As some of you are good troublemakers, you just think that that's what's really fun. I'm really good at noticing other people's problems. I'm, I'm capable of discerning that uh, things are not right and this is the problem with America and this is the problem with people and this is the problem with social dimensions and, and diversity issues and all of that. But you, you're, you're not a problem solver. But you see what I'm telling you, it's your time to be a problem solver and God can get the glory from it. It's your time to change the current rhetoric of hate and division that characterizes the time in which we live. People speak so ugly to one another. I want to invite our worship team to come on and begin to get ready because they're going to lead us in worship in a few moments and we're just going to be able to bring this down at the feet of Jesus. It's your time to change the current rhetoric. If you don't like the fact that people are ugly to one another on social media, then change the narrative. It's your time and God can use you. If you don't like it that everyone talks about problems but nobody changes them, it's time for you to change the rhetoric. Come up with something better. Think forward in what can happen. It's your time to change the current rhetoric. The next time someone asks you, now I want to plant this deep in your heart. I hope my prayer to God Almighty has been that this will get on you and you won't be able to get away from it. People frequently ask, hey, what time is it? Hey, what time is it? Now, I want you to be courteous and look at your phone, tell them, or look at your watch if you still wear such a thing. Do you even know what a watch is? <laughs> you look at it and you tell them what time it is. But I want you to think in your heart and remember, it's my time and I'm going to let God use me. 
What time is it? It's my time and I'm going to let God use me. What time is it? Say it with me. It's my time and I'm going to let God use me. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you will make it so in their lives. May this seed that I've planted in their hearts start to grow and and blossom into a large tree, O oh Lord, a tree of life in their heart that they can know. Not only can they walk carefully, not only can they walk with their eyes open, seeking to avoid the mistakes of other people, but Lord, they can redeem the time because the days are evil. I pray this in Jesus' marvelous name. Amen.